1: Luke chapter 2, if you'll turn there for our foundation verse, we are going to begin a series up to to Christmas time frame uh, talking about why Jesus came, our salvation story. When we talk about why he came, it relates to our salvation story, why he came to deliver us, why he came to free us, what all he accomplished by coming to this earth and why we celebrate this wonderful Savior, Jesus, and the whole purpose of why the Father sent Him. So tonight, we're going to start off with the first of of those things, which really is going to kind of tie into everything else we're going to talk about in this series. But we're going to start here in the book of Luke. If you're there, say amen. amen. In the book of Luke chapter, chapter 2, we don't have time to read the whole story, of course, when we're focusing on the different things of why he came. But we're going to cut right to the chase here to verse 8, talking about their very fact here. As he was born, then these angels appear, of course, to shepherds, and they pronounce the very birth of Jesus. So in Luke chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, Now there were, in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock, by night. By the way, if you think about this, God doesn't do anything without importance. I said, God doesn't do anything without importance. Everything God does has some significance to it. Who is the very first group of people that the angels are told to go to? God sends these angels to proclaim the birth of the Savior. Who is the very first group of people He sends them to go to? Shepherd. Why? See, that's not without significance. He could have sent him to anybody. But who's he sent him to? Shepherds. Why? Why did he do that? Well, let me help you because you're not helping me much. So let me just go through it real quick. Jesus represents our salvation. His birth is our salvation. His birth is our new life that we've been given through Jesus Christ. So once we receive Jesus, say receive Jesus. Jesus came into the earth. He has to be received. Once we receive Jesus, what's the very first thing we need? a shepherd. That's the reason that literally God sends these angels very first thing to a shepherd. All these people say that you need a church, good to go to church. We, we speak that sometimes just because that's what people understand from terminology today. But the truth is you don't need a church. You are the church. You need a shepherd. Find a shepherd, you become, you become a part of a church body, church family. So notice these shepherds were doing what? Watching over their flock. By night. What am I supposed to do? Watch over my flock, the Bible says. Verse 9 Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now I want to emphasize this because we're going to talk about this tonight. The glory of the Lord is literally the manifest presence of God. Now, for a lot, that's just a statement. But the truth is, if you've ever encountered God's manifest presence, to the degree that these guys did, I will guarantee you what? You'll never look at the manifest presence the same again. Amen. Whenever it's mentioned, you'll think to those times, those encounters, those situations where God's presence was so powerful, so real, so incredible to try to describe it is hard to the degree that even sometimes maybe you were unaware of anything else around you. Been there, done that. Amen. And that's what this is referring to. This glory of the Lord is this incredible, glorious, magnificent magnificent presence of our God. So the very glory of the Lord, verse 9, shone around these very shepherds. And they were what? Greatly afraid. Because clearly in the middle of the night, they're out there watching their flock. And all of a sudden, the manifestation of these angels in the, in the sky and this glory of the Lord. I mean, I'll guarantee you what? This is not a normal occurrence. For a shepherd's evening watching the flock. This is a really, really crazy, uh, you know, from, from their perspective, uh, encounter all of a sudden happening. Verse 10. So the angel said to them, what? Do not, Do not be afraid. afraid. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings. Now, good tidings, you know, for us kind of in the natural aspect of the uh, English language, in a sense, really kind of misses the mark with us. Good tidings means good news. Good news. I bring you good news. Say so they, they pronounced... Say, they pronounced that good news had come. Behold, notice this, I bring to you good tidings, good news of what? Great joy, which will be to all people. This good news, if received by those who receive it, will become what? Great joy. Great joy. Now, you know, sadly, there are a lot of people who have received the initial understanding Of the good news of salvation that God has brought to us. But for some reason we've lost this great joy. And it's because we've lost sight of the good news. Of what God has done in our life. May we regain that through this uh, series that we're going to talk about. Verse 11. Notice this. For there is born to you. To you this day. In the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What was he born to? To us. He was born to us. Notice again, in the context of the the recognition of who he was, in the city of David, say, a Savior. Underline that, please. He's a Savior. Well, obviously, if he's a Savior, what's that mean? He came to save us. He certainly had to have come to save us from some things, or otherwise, why would he be called a Savior? There is born to you a Savior. Why to us a Savior? Because we needed saving. Not just born again, what we think of saving. But there is born to you this Savior who is what? Christ. Referring to what? This is the Messiah. So for us, we just understand that a lot of times people really, as Christians today, take Christ almost kind of like as the last name of Jesus, but it's not. It's a phrase referring to what the Old Testament prophesied about this Messiah to come. So now they've not only declared him as a Savior to save you. What have they also declared? This is the Messiah. And the phrase Messiah means your deliverer. Your deliverer. He came to save you. And he came to what? To deliver you. So there has been born to you this day in the city of David, just as prophecy said it would happen, a Savior who came to save us, who is Christ, the deliverer, the Lord, who wants to be our Lord. Verse 12, this will be the sign to you. This is how you'll know. You'll find a babe wrapped in squaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude. Say multitude. Any idea what this sounded like? See, when you read these stories, don't just read them and say, yeah, I know that. You should, every time that you go through the Bible, you should put yourself in a position as if you were right there. What was that like? What did that look like? What did that sound like? So there was, notice suddenly, with this messenger angel, notice this, a multitude of heavenly hosts. What were they doing? Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Now, that's a powerful phrase. You got to have it underlined. Notice this. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Again, this is referring to the fact that there is good news towards those who truly will receive it. And that good news is what? That you can now have peace with God. That the very enmity that stood between us and God been dealt with. That enmity has been dealt with. What obviously was an opposition because of sin between us and God that literally caused us to no longer have peace with God, harmony with God, has been removed. And now we can be in harmony with Him again. So we're not going to actually talk about that as it relates to one of the things He did. I'm going to refer to it, but I want you to remember this phrase, that God came to bring us good uh, good news. What was that good news? That we could once again be in total harmony with God. I'm going to show you how that relates to us in the first thing we're going to talk about significant to everything else that Jesus did. So to learn about that, guess where we got to go? Back to Genesis. Let's go find out why he came. Genesis tells us. Genesis tells us a lot of why. You may not think so, but believe it or not, Genesis tells me and you a lot of why Jesus came. When you go back to the book of beginnings, you find out what happened initially when man was obviously brought forth into this earth. What man did in walking with God and what happened when man obviously then sinned and violated that walk with God. This is, if, if that would have never happened, Jesus would have never had to come. If, if man would have never sinned in the garden, if what we read in Genesis would have never happened, there would have been no reason for the Son of Man to come and to die in our place but this is why we go back to Genesis because we begin to see here and find out the very reasons as to why Jesus came. Now we'll later look at chapter 1 in this series, but I'm going to go to chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in the context of the actual creation of man beginning in verse 4. Genesis 2 verse 4. You with me? Say amen. amen. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The previous verses, talking about all that he made. The history of all that was created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man yet to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth, and it watered the whole face of the ground. Verse 7, this is the verse we want to focus on. Listen carefully. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. God made man or the human side of us. The word man there is the human part of us. God formed man or made the human part of man. Where from? Where from? Now, I wish I had time to preach on this and I don't. But you will find out if you go through my series on authority that you've been given in Christ Jesus... What do you have authority over? Well, if you go back just before this in the previous verses, we'll see a little bit of it in the days ahead. In these previous verses, what did God give man authority over? All the earth. What was his body made of? Dust to the ground. What do you have authority over? Your body. A lot of people don't realize it, and they just don't use that authority. You will never overcome your body. We'll talk about this later. I'm kind of ahead of myself here. Not tonight. You will never overcome your body, the, flesh, the, the sinful flesh side of you that you still have to deal with, with your human will. with your own. Power. How are you going to deal with it? With the authority of God. With the authority of God. So again, he formed man, this human side of us, of the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into his nostrils. Underline this and say it with me, please. The breath of life. Say that. The breath of life. Now, this is the first time relating to what we see in aspects of man. This is the first time this word is used in relating to man. The breath of life. So, again, just like you're sitting there, watch what's going on. What does God do? He creates from the very dust of the ground the body of man. Could you imagine watching that happen? Seeing that happen. And then what does he do? Then he bends over and he breathes into the nostrils of man this breath of life and last part of verse 7 underline it man became what so he became a living being meaning he's now like God he's now like God so the word breath here is powerful if you look up this word breath by the way think about who it's coming from where's that breath coming from God God all your body is is dust to the ground. That's why if you leave your body as a spirit, it returns to the ground. It returns from the dust from where it came. Well, won't I get a resurrected body? Yes, you will. What about all those who have already left? What if they've been cremated? What if they've been whatever this put ground? It don't matter. God knows where all those dust particles are. And, and they're going to get a new body out of that. Praise God. So that's not something you got to get all caught up and concerned about. What we got to know is the spirit of man and what's going on with the spirit of man. So he forms this body out of the dirt of the ground and then he breathes, say breathes. So that word breathe there in the Hebrew is the word for spirit and soul. Spirit and soul. If you look it up, it has both connotations in the definition to it. If you look up the definition in the Hebrew, what is that word spirit in that setting of Genesis 2, 7 means spirit and soul. What are you? You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. When did man get the spirit and soul? When God breathed into him the breath of life. So when he breathed into him the breath of life, think about this. Not only was man given his spirit, not only was man given a soul with the ability to have a, what? A mind context what we know of mind will and and feelings all that reasoning feelings and willpower but understand he also put in with it put him within what a spirit being which came from where him your dna originally comes from god you are a part of him you are a part of the breath of god so when god breathed into man this breath of his very presence not only did man get his own spirit but else guess what else came with it god's spirit Part of God's spirit, because it came from God. Now, he was given his own spirit. He's not God. We're not God. We're just an. Im- We're made in the image and the likeness of God. So God gave a part of himself to, to bring forth Adam into being, but he also gave Adam his own spirit. We know this because clearly God's spirit cannot die. Ours can, because of sin. So Adam himself was given, right here, a spirit and a soul, which means he was given what? The breath of life. Say life. Now, here's what I want you to get about this context of what we're talking about is that you got to understand one of the most significant reasons Jesus came was because this life was lost. What was this life that was lost? Let's walk through this. Genesis 2, a little further down in verse 15, after making man and he's now alive, the Lord God then took him and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it, the very garden that he made. We have no idea how glorious, how beautiful, how wonderful that garden was. Heaven will give us a little glimpse of that. But I will guarantee it was the most great, uh, most grandiose, incredible place that you would have ever want to have been, been in on the face of the planet. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, every tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I know this thought always kind of may pop up in somebody's head. Why did he even put it there? Why did he even give man the right to choose Uh, of that tree why not just even keep that tree out of the garden so this would have never happened well it's like this if you found somebody that you really cared for as an individual you wanted to share your love with them you can't without their willpower and their willingness to receive the love you have to offer them man had to have the right to choose man had to have the right the willpower to choose to receive God or reject God And what he wound up doing is actually choosing to therefore reject what God said by doing what he knew he shouldn't have. Although I think Adam did it because of Eve, and Eve was deceived into it. Either way, here's the point. God had to give man a free choice, free will choice. Otherwise, you're just a robot. He just make you do whatever you want, which is not true love. Amen? You can't make somebody love you. How many figured that out? so neither can God but notice this again so of the tree verse 17 of the knowledge of good and evil God said you shall not eat say not eat it notice this for in the day that you eat it notice this eat of it you will what you shall surely die what's that what what is taking place here the opposite of life the opposite of life so when God breathed into that body of Adam His nostrils, the breath of life, the breath of the soul and spirit of life, what came into him? His spirit along with what? God's spirit. What is God? He is life. Let me give you a little precursor to where I'm going tonight. Jesus said in John 10, 10. Remember John 10, 10? Remember the dividing line of the Bible? What did Jesus say? The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What would all that have to do with? Death. Death, stealing, killing, destroying, death. But I have come, I have come, I have come, I have come that you may have This is the first reason he came. This is the first reason he came. Because God gave man that life, meaning an actual union with his spirit and man's spirit. I'm we'll say it again, a union with God's spirit and man's spirit. Without a union between God's spirit and man's spirit, there is no true life. Right. There is no true life. So Jesus said, I not only came to give you that life, but I came to give you that life what? More abundantly. Now most people think of, and if they're carnal finances and all that kind of stuff, he ain't even referring to that. He's referring to the very kind of life that only comes through actually having union with God. Which I will promise you will make you forget about anything carnal or anything natural when you experience that life. Amen? So again, verse 17, clearly he said, if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. Chapter 3 now of Genesis. So here's the account of what happened. The serpent, verse 1, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now don't get mad at me, ladies. I'm just trying to help you. Why didn't he go to Adam? Why didn't he go to Adam? I'm going to tell you why. Because Adam was the one given the responsibility to watch over the garden. I think if he would have went to Adam, Adam would have immediately dealt with him and kicked him out just like God said. Now that don't mean that women are not quote-unquote capable of walking free from temptation and therefore, therefore deception. But the devil knew she was far easier to deceive than Adam was because she's getting her information secondhand. God spoke to Adam. Now Adam's telling her what God said. So guess what he's going to do? Let me help you. Can I help you with a little insight, a little nugget there? If all you ever do is get all your information about God secondhand and you never get anything directly from God, it's easier to be deceived there. Your pastor is gifted by God to teach you the word. You should come and get the word taught. But then you should get that being heard from God as a revelation directly from God in your spirit. If you don't, what will happen is the devil will come and he'll literally take advantage of that because he'll begin to say, well, that was just your pastor saying that. I'll move on. <laughs> so... Watch this very clearly. Uh, he tells her, you notice this, has uh, God, uh, back to verse 1. So the Lord God, uh, he says to the woman, uh, the devil says, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. So right off, what's he trying to do? He's starting start to deceive her, trying to deceive her, trying to mix her up, trying to confuse her. Well, didn't God say of every tree of the garden you shall not eat? No, he didn't say that. So there's one tree there you can't eat of. So he's already trying to get in, the, in a position to deceive her and take advantage of her thinking. So the woman said, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now, did God say that? No, no he said you can't eat it. But touching it would be a good idea to not do so, because if you don't touch it, guess what you won't do? You won't eat it. Now watch this, verse four. The serpent said to notice this, then he blatantly comes out without a doubt with a, with a bald faced lie. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Excuse me? 217. The day that you eat of it, God said, You shall surely die. what, is, what does the devil say? You will not surely die. He's a liar. He's an absolute liar, but what he's doing is he's working on her to try to deceive her, to get her convinced that what obviously she has heard is not true. Now, who do you think she's heard that from again? Adam. 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 So really, in truth, in a part of this, we could say she really hasn't had a lot of time to develop her walk with God, as a personal walk, but clearly, obviously, uh, Adam had told her what God had said. Now, moving on, watch this. Verse 4. So the serpent went on, and he said to the woman, Not only will you surely not die. Verse 5. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Now, Satan will always take a little bit of truth to mix in with a lie. Watch this. Verse 5. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. If you don't know it, that's true. It's absolutely true. It's exactly what happens. When they wind up eating of the fruit and therefore committing sin, God says they've now come like us to have their eyes open to know good and evil. So the devil's always going to mix some truth in with lies to try to deceive and take advantage of people. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. You should have all that underlined. You should have this underline. She saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also then gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, the Bible's clear. The Bible tells us over and over again through multiple verses, she was deceived, Adam was not. Adam knew what he was doing. She did not. People can say different things about whether Adam was there, whether Adam wasn't there. You know what? We don't know for sure because it really doesn't tell us. We don't know if this was a period of time from the time she ate that Adam later saw it and found out about it. I really kind of doubt, my. although I've told you I'm not into opinions, I really doubt he was there. He knew what the result would be. Why would you let her eat it? Why would you let her eat it? I think she got deceived. She ate of it. Then he came around and all of a sudden he finds out what happens because the Bible literally calls Jesus the second Adam. You listening? Yeah, the last Adam, but uh, also the second Adam. From Adam initially, he's the second and final Adam. Meaning what? He's going to give his life for us. I think Adam gave his life for his wife. He didn't want to do without her. You we don't even understand that today. I mean, bodies and, and beings and minds, totally perfect, no imperfection whatsoever. I mean, my gosh, we can't even understand what that relationship was like. So realize very clearly that uh, she did so deceivingly. The Bible teaches this, by the way. I'm not making it up. There's other verses that tell you this. He was not deceived. Look at verse 7. The eyes of both of them were what? Just like the devil said. They were open. Why? They were open, that they now knew they were naked, but it goes on to say, and uh, uh, relating this to what Jesus actually, uh, excuse me, what God actually uh, spoke about what happened. Notice this, they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, where he would come down and fellowship with them, and Adam and his wife did what? Hid themselves. What did they hide from? The presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We'll come back and see that later in this series. Why are they hiding themselves all of a sudden? I'm going to tell you why. Because they're no longer one with God. God's presence has left them. They were one with God. Their spirit was one with God. Any idea what that felt like? When they ate that fruit? To now have the presence of God leave you? Guess who experienced that for you? Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus who had never been separated from the presence of God when he died and went into hell itself. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God didn't forsake him. But his, his context, his life, never having experienced ever in all of his eternity of living, uh, being separated from the presence of God was in that time frame, or he didn't pay the price for our sin, but he did. Yeah. So I understand, man, this is, this is significant when you understand what's happening here. To die here doesn't mean just physically die. They didn't die physically or they wouldn't still be alive. It means to die spiritually. We understand that. But what does that mean to die spiritually? What does that mean? God's presence left them. They're now separated from what they had been walking with from their time of creation. And this is why they knew they were naked. Read on. Verse 8. Again, they heard God walking in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves. Nine. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? Did God know where they were? Sure. Yeah. He just wanted him to get honest about exposing himself in relationship to his sin, what he did. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And notice he brought it up again. I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Did God know they did? Sure he did. He's needing Adam to acknowledge it. Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I did what? I ate. I ate. It goes on to later talk about God then says, relationship to what had happened, that man had now come to know good and evil. But why all of a sudden the recognition over and over and over again about being naked? I'm going to tell you why. Different than me and you, sin having never entered their life, the presence of God, one with their spirit, wasn't just one with their spirit. God wasn't just in them like me and you. God was on them. I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible. God was on them. His presence was on them. The reason they did not notice each other's nakedness was because, guess what was on them? The glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord, you go study for yourself all through the Old Testament primarily. The glory of the Lord is seen in many ways. It's seen as a cloud, seen as a bright light. It's, It's something visible. It's something tangible in the spirit realm. And therefore, these literal man and woman, these two of God's creation, one with his presence, just didn't have his presence in him. They had their presence, his presence on them. How could they walk in the authority they had without God's presence on them? This is why as a believer, you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen. When you get born again, his presence comes to live within you. You need to learn how to yield to that presence and get it upon you. So you can do what? So you can have power Amen. to be his witnesses. So the reason they notice the natural nakedness now, which they had not before, is because what had left them? The presence of God. What do we call the presence of God leaving an individual? Death. Death. What did Jesus say in John 10, 10? I've come to give you life. Guess what I've come to do? Restore you to life. What does he mean? Restore us to life. Go to Psalm 8. What does he mean, restore us to life? To reunite, not only give you a new spirit, but to reunite your spirit with God's spirit. Amen. Oh, that's good. To reunite your spirit with God's spirit. So in the very beginning, where did God? Where did man's spirit come from? God. Was it God himself in man in relationship that he was God? No. He gave him of his own spirit, but he also gave him of a part of him because that's where that very presence came from, that breath from God. And therefore, God not only had his own spirit, but he also had within him and upon him, what? The spirit of God. How do we know? The psalmist tells you. David learned so much about God and so much about man and so much about relationship between God and man. All those years out there taking care of those sheep. Because he was a worshiper. He would worship God and sing to God and praise God. And guess what happens when you praise God? God inhabits your praise. He would become aware of God's presence. Now realize from the time this happened, from the time this fall occurred with Adam in the garden until Jesus came and the first person got born again, nobody could be reunited in spirit with God. This is why Jesus came. To reunite our spirit with God's spirit. Because without Jesus making our spirit new, we could not have the presence of God in us. Moses was aware of the presence of God around him, wasn't he? Yeah. Many of the Old Testament saints were aware of the, old, uh, the uh, presence of God around them. Old Testament prophets. Uh, I say saints, excuse me. Old Testament prophets, as well as some of the kings that God anointed, etc. So they were aware of his presence around them, but they weren't one with his presence. Why? Because their spirit was dead. Their spirit was dead. What do you mean dead? Devoid of oneness with God's presence. So not only was God's presence in Adam and Eve, God's presence was what? On Adam and Eve. Yeah. Look at Psalms 8. Notice this. Uh, literally we see here David in a time of worship to God. All of a sudden he brings this up in this time of his worship with God. Uh, Psalm 8 verse 3. If you're there, say Amen. So he's looking, think about this, at the heavens, at the stars that want, you know, night and all moon and all this stuff. And notice what he says here, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. Verse 5. For you've made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor. I want you to get verse 5. So he's talking about what, here's the way we would say it. So God, what is your real purpose for man? In the midst of all of creation and why you made him, what was the purpose? What was the real primary purpose of making man? Verse 5, you've made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him. Say crowned. The word crown means to surround. If you go and look that up in the Hebrew, the word crown means to surround. You surrounded him with the glory and honor. Glory and honor. When God created man, what did he do? He surrounded him with his presence because his presence was in him. And he also did what? He surrounded him with honor. He honored him with authority. He honored, you're about to see it, he honored him with the ability to to oversee the work of God's hand. What an honor. What an honor that God would create you and say, guess what? You get to oversee the work of my hands in the earth. So when it talks here about him relating to what he brought man into existence for, again, notice this, it says that you made him a little lower than what? Than what? So if you've been in this church any length of time, you know I've addressed this before. In relationship to the word in the Hebrew language there it does not refer to angelic hosts. The word is Elohim. What's the word here actually Elohim stand for? God. Who did God make man a little lower than himself? He didn't make us lower than angels. And sadly, again, a lot of people would say, well, you're taking this and taking it out of context. No, English translators that translated it were so in relationship to God, so reverent to the degree of God's presence and God himself that they did not want to translate it as God. So they translated it as angels. But that's not what it says. The Hebrew language says, go back to Genesis. And we'll see it later in chapter 1. He said, we'll make man in our image and in our likeness. In what? Our image and in our likeness. You know what that means? A little lower than us. They're not going to be God. There's only one God. Come on. There's only one God and father of us all. So they're not going to be God, but they're going to be like us. A little lower than us. That means higher rank than angels. You want to know how I can prove you're higher rank than angels? They can't be born again. Satan and his cohorts that have been kicked out of heaven can no longer return to heaven and no longer return to being in relationship with God. But you can. And if you're born again, you have. So understand this. He said, I have created man. What's man you're mindful of? Why would you bring him into existence? I brought him into existence again. Verse 5. I made him. Say made man. I made him a little lower than myself. And I did so by crowning him. What does that mean again? What's the word crown? By surrounding him with glory and honor. So again, why did Adam and Eve after the fall now know they're naked? Because the glory that was on them left them because the presence of God that was in them and one with their spirit that was on them departed from them. Because God is a good God. God does not sin. God doesn't miss the mark. You listening? But man did. So the moment man sinned, what happened? Death came just like God said. But not in the context of physical death, dying physically instantly, no. What happened? What do you mean by death? God's presence left man. Imagine the feeling of darkness. Now see us being birthed into the context of a type of sin in our physical flesh and then coming to the knowledge of sin at some point in our life and our spirits dying, we don't sense it as much as they would have had uh, sensed it. Presence of God leaving them. Why? Nobody in relationship to the aspect of what we walk in today walks in this same fullness of glory upon them like they did because again, they had a body that was perfect. They had not sinned. So the presence of God was not just to be in them, it was to be on them and that was God's intent all along so the ha- the context of what it says here in Psalms 8 is what happened was having crowned him surrounded him with glory and honor what happened when he sinned he lost that glory the word glory here again is the manifest presence of God why did he lose the manifest presence of God church because his spirit and God's spirit were now separated God's presence left his spirit, and therefore God was no longer upon his life. Verse 6, you've made him to have what? Watch this. Here comes the honor part. So not only have you surrounded him with your presence, your glory, but you also have given him honor. What do you mean, Meaning what? Verse 6, you've given him the honor of making him to have dominion over the works of your hands. What an honor. I said, what an honor. Jesus restored that to us. Notice this. He says, you have put all things under his. Jesus restored that to us. Who had authority over all the earth when he was created? Man did. Who lost it? Man did. Who got it back? Jesus did. You you may not believe it. Kathy can tell you uh, story after story. I learned this in Genesis that God gave man authority over the beasts of the field. As a bull rider, I learned that. I said, man, I got that back. I can take authority over any bull and he can't harm me. And he never. after that time, I never had a bull hurt me. Amen. Not one. Amen. You can say, I'm crazy. Well, that just happened to be luck. Let me help you. There's no luck with God. Luck comes from Lucifer. The actual term of the phrase of, of, uh, of Satan's name, Lucifer. There's no luck with God. No. So I, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Listen to this. Not only have you put all things under his feet, seven, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the pass uh, pass of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now, why did God do this? Come on. Why did God create man? Number one, God created man. This isn't my point for you to make about why Jesus came, but why did he create man? So he could have somebody to walk in close union and fellowship with. To be one with man's spirit. And therefore, number two, to have that presence upon him, to be able to do what? Why did he need God's presence on him? Why do we need to be able to have God's presence on us? To do the work of God. That's right. I said to do the work of God. Why did Satan need, excuse me, why did Adam and Eve need God's presence on them? To do the work of God. To exercise dominion doesn't mean that they had it. It was God's dominion. God gave them the right to use his authority. His, excuse me, his power. He authorized them. And he proved it by his presence being upon them. And in doing so, they were able to now do what? Go forth and do the work of God. It wasn't Adam's strength doing that. It wasn't Eve's strength doing that. It was God's power. So it's easy to understand why did the devil want to strip the uh, aspect, want to strip man, Adam and Eve, of what was God's presence and power because then he could take advantage of them otherwise they're a threat to him so God crowned man with what glory his shekinah glory and presence and honored him with being over the work of his hands go to first Corinthians 5 let's see what Jesus did about it you're still with me aren't you first Corinthians 5 so in relationship to death it just means obviously yes man's spirit died but more importantly what happened when man's spirit died God's spirit left him God's presence was no longer united with his spirit and therefore he not only not had God's, He not only no longer had God's presence in him and united with his spirit, guess what else he didn't have? He didn't have the ability to have God's presence on him. Sad to say. But thank God, I said thank God, I said thank God Jesus did something about it. Aren't you glad? I said aren't you glad? Uh, Go to, I told you wrong, go to 1 Corinthians 15, not 5, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 15, turn over there. So what did Jesus do about this? Oh, I'm so glad that he did what he needed to do to reunite us with the presence of God. Verse 21, for since by man came death, Adam's sin. Death meaning what? what? What happened? Presence of God left him because his spirit died. So again, verse 21, For since by man came death by man, that man is capitalized, if you'll notice, Jesus, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. dead." 22, For as in Adam all do what? All have lost the presence of God because of Adam, but even so in Christ all shall be made what? Meaning what? My spirit's made brand new God's presence now has come and has now reunited itself with me. If God's presence has reunited itself with me, guess what I have the privilege to do? I have the privilege to now get that presence back on me. Could I get a better amen? And walk in close relationship with God. Go to John chapter 20. John 20. Might seem like a lot of verses tonight, but necessary. Go Go to John chapter 20. Say, Praise the Lord, somebody. So in John chapter 20, last verse for the night, that I'm going to refer to a few. In John chapter 20 here, Jesus is raised from the dead. He's come back from the grave. He has already all, once, we know, ascended to heaven because he told Mary not to touch him till he ascended to heaven. So we know he went to heaven and came back, clearly, because otherwise uh, they would, later they touched him. So he went to heaven, I believe, to simply go in there, shed his blood on the mercy seat, which he had to do in heaven. And then he comes back and he appears to the disciples for 40 days and 40 nights. And as he does that in the midst of this, in John chapter 20, now he's about to leave. He's about to go back to the Father. And John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. What did he say? What did he say? What was the first thing that the shepherd said to those in the fields that night when Jesus was born? Peace to men, meaning what? Now you can have harmony with God. Guess what Jesus is telling his disciples here? Guess what you're about to get back into, boys? Guess what you're about to get back into, boys? You're about to get back in harmony with God. Your spirit's about to become one with God. Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also do what? So to send them, what are they going to have to have? Not only the presence of God in them, but the presence of God on them. Verse 32, this is why he demanded in the book of Acts to go and wait till they receive the power from on high, of which time they would learn to yield to God's presence and get it back on their life. 22, he has said this, notice, he breathes, say he breathed. underline it, he breathed. What did he do? He breathes on them, it actually just says he breathed on them Is added. And notice he said to them, underline it, receive what? The Holy Spirit. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I know most of in this church know this. Anybody ever tells you the disciples got born again in Acts chapter 2 hasn't read their whole Bible. We haven't got to Acts chapter 2 yet because in Acts chapter 2, where is Jesus? He's in heaven. Right. Where is he right now? With his disciples. What's he doing right now with his disciples? He breathes on them. Now, you can go look this up for yourself. Greek scholars will tell you the Greek word for breathe here is the exact synonymous word perfect in which it is only used in relationship to man from uh, the Hebrew in Genesis 2-7. It's the exact synonymous word. What happened back to the start of our message? When God formed that body of man, how the dust of the ground, and then breathed, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, what came into them? What came into them? Spirit and soul. Amen. Amen. When now Jesus is breathing on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit, what's the work of the Holy Spirit doing here? He's resurrecting their soul brand new. You're a new creation. Mm -hmm. New creation. New creation. Come on, in Christ Jesus. Old man's passed away. New man has come. Why? So you could once again receive life. Meaning what? God. God. That you could be one spirit with God. That your spirit could once again be reunited with God. So he breathes on them says, receive the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens? They got born again. So relationship to what you and I receive, understanding what this means to us. The moment anybody puts faith in Jesus, believes in their heart, right? Confesses him as Lord. What happens? The Holy Spirit breathes on them. And when the Holy Spirit breathes on them, he comes to live within them and they get a brand new spirit and your spirit is reunited with God's spirit. So first and foremost, why is that significant? Because you're no longer going to be absent from the presence of God. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. And therefore, restored back to what the angels had said was coming, peace, harmony with God. Say, "I I have harmony with God. You know what the devil wants to convince you of? You don't have harmony with God. He wants to convince you God's mad at you. God's still against you. God's opposing you because of what you've done. God is in a position where he will not help you because of what you've done. Not true. If obviously you could fix your own life, you wouldn't need God to come do anything. God wants to help you in every aspect of your life. And the devil doesn't want you to know that. So you've got to understand what those angels, again, spoke to those shepherds is key. Guess what? Peace. Peace on earth. Meaning what? Harmony once again between you and God and this is good news to all of mankind. So when does that harmony take place? The moment you get born again, your spirit is now what? One with God's spirit. And the moment your spirit becomes one with God's spirit, you can also have what? God's presence upon you. All right, my, my point tonight, number one, why did Jesus come? Number one, he came to reunite us with the very presence of, of God himself. He came to reunite us with the very presence of God himself. If I said it this way, he came to give us life for most, that wouldn't mean a whole lot in relationship to what really happened. He did come to give you life. What does that mean he came to give you life? He came to reunite you with the presence of God. Life itself. If my spirit is reunited with God's spirit, which they are, I'm going to share some verses with you in a minute. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? Well, number one, that means I'm in a position once again where I can have fellowship with God intimately. Right. Amen. Now, don't think Moses didn't have fellowship with God. He did. He wasn't even born again. God was able to reveal himself to him in ways that he could understand. But you and I have the ability to not only have the understanding of what God wants to reveal to us, but an awareness of his presence within us. Guess what Moses never had in his whole life? He never had an awareness of God's presence in him. Couldn't be born again. But you are. I said you are. So why did Jesus come? And everything else is going to play off of this. Why did Jesus come? To reunite us with the very presence of our Heavenly Father. Why is that significant? As I quoted a minute ago, he will never leave you nor forsake you. What does the devil want you to think? Well, God must have forsaken me. Why is God letting me go through this? Why is God letting this happen? Stuff happens in the earth, folks, for multiple reasons. And it ain't because God abandoned you. You listen in? Stuff that happens bad in your life ain't because God abandoned you. Why does stuff happen bad in your life? Several reasons. One, you reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. And this is where the hyper grace teachers don't want to get into this kind of stuff because they just want to say you're saved by grace. doesn't matter what you do. No, it still matters. If you continue to do things harmful to your life, guess what you'll do? Reap the consequences don't imagine getting up tomorrow and going out to your garage grabbing a hammer putting your thumb on a counter and smashing your thumb and then asking God to heal it and the next day you go back out there and do the same thing again and then you get mad at God because he allowed you to smash your thumb no you did it because you chose to do it but see a lot of people apply that to other things in life why did God let this happen now, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, you got to understand who you are as a child of God because you have an enemy. you got to understand he has been defeated. We're going to talk about it in this series. But you got to understand how to enforce that victory. You are not trying to win a battle. You've already been given the victory. The battle that you're in is the battle of faith to not lose your trust and faith in what Jesus has already done for you. But you got to understand this. The enemy takes advantage of people by a lack of knowledge. You know, you could pray a prayer of protection as I have done before and yet still have bad things happen to you because you weren't following the leading of the Holy Spirit. You listening? We're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. So it's not because... I remember... It's a Christmas time frame story too. I remember years ago when we were still back in Roanoke and I was actually a a Christmas Eve was the night before uh, church on Sunday, was on a Saturday, uh, Christmas that year was on a Sunday, and so I'm preparing, getting ready for church the next day, man, and I'm in a hurry to get home, trying to scramble to get home, in a hurry to get home, and I pulled up to a four-way stop, what was actually an old four-way stop now, a stoplight, and I pulled up there and I stopped, but I was in such a hurry, guess what I didn't do? I didn't even take time to think about was the other person come and stopped or not i just stopped real quick and took off and the minute i took off guess what ran right in the side of my truck and, t- and uh, totally t- uh, totaled my truck a van did yeah never stopped guy was drunk right now i'll tell you what after that happened i blamed god i got mad at god i know none of you ever have <laughs> So god i thought she was going to protect me i thought you would protect me wherever i go thought you he said uh, you walked away didn't you That's right. Right. didn't even have to go to the hospital not a scratch on you, stepped outside, your truck was totaled, a 1970 Chevy truck, not plastic car, right. all metal, heavy dude, a van hit the side of it and totaled it, he said, you walked away, didn't you, I did protect you, right. but it didn't have to happen, son, he said, if you'd have taken the time to slow down and listen to me, and if you'll walk back through that night, he said, you'll notice I was putting a check in your spirit, but you didn't listen. You were, going, you were going based on your carnal hurry knowledge of having to get home. Otherwise, you'd have held up knowing I had a little check in your spirit, and you'd have watched that guy zoom right past you and never touch your vehicle. I couldn't stop that from happening because guess what? You're making a decision to drive your vehicle down the road. You're making your decision to go on out and pull out and, and, and through, uh, into this intersection without taking the time to stop and listen. Right. Amen. I didn't make the choice for you to drive your vehicle out there. You did. But i tell you what I did in the midst of it, you walked away. Amen. Don't tell me I didn't protect you. I'd like a better amen than that, amen. or your pastor probably wouldn't be here today. Amen. So understand, God himself placed his presence back within us as a gift to us, which is life, to reunite our spirit with his spirit so he would never leave us, he would never forsake us. We now have God's presence in us, but we also need to be aware of that presence and follow the leading of that presence that's within us. Amen? Amen. I want to give you some verses to add to this that are significant about it. We looked at these verses when we went through our Thanksgiving uh, series. I want to give you one of them. Psalm 107.1. Not turning. I'm just quoting them. Psalm 107.1. What does the Bible say there? All that men would give thanks to God for He is what? Tell me. Tell me out loud, please. So if God is good, and He is... The Bible tells you that. If God is good, stop and think about this. If God is good, and I'm born again, if you're born again, you know it, say amen. Amen. So if you're born again, your spirit has been given life back in it, meaning what? Life back in it means you've got a brand new, recreated spirit with the presence of God united to your spirit. And if God is in me, and he is, guess what you have? Everything that's good. Say, "I'm I'm one with everything that's good. The problem is a lot of us just don't understand that or know that or are aware of it, but it's true. If God is good, guess what I'm one with? Everything that's good. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 tells us that he who is joined to the Lord, born again, is one spirit with him. One spirit, one spirit. The moment you become one, joined with the Lord, born again, you become one spirit with him. So once again, proof that your spirit is one spirit with God. And why is that significant? Well, there's a lot of other verses, but let me give you one more that you'll know very well. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That means I have a greater one living inside of me that if I will become aware of his presence and become aware of who I walk with every day, I never have to fear evil. Remember what Adam said back there in the garden right after the, actually, uh, after the sin took place and God walked up into the garden and wanted to know where he was, what did he say? I was afraid. I was afraid. Guess what? You don't have to be anymore. Afraid. Why was he afraid, church? Why was he afraid? Because God's presence left him. What does 2 Timothy say? Uh, chapter 1 says, we've no longer been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, And a sound mind. Can I get a better amen? Amen. So the first thing as to why Jesus came back significant is so that he could do what? Reunite us with the very presence of God. And our spirits being reunited with the presence of God means I'm never going to be forsaken. He'll never leave me. I have a greater one living in me. I have everything that's good residing in me. Boy, I sure wished I had this, had this. Let me help you. You got everything that's good residing in you. Everything you would ever need in God. And I will promise you, if you'll learn how to develop this relationship and get yielded to him and let him work in and through you, you'll experience more of that goodness. Aren't you glad? Without Jesus, we could not have gotten God's presence back in our life. But with him, because of him, not only our spirit was made new, our spirit was united, one with God. Now just stop and think of the implications of that for a minute. Go back to Adam. How aware were they of God's presence before sin? so aware they didn't even realize they were naked again any idea the feeling of darkness the feeling of loss well if you've ever been lost in life somewhere and really all of a sudden realize i mean you ever had this experience i've watched people have this simple little experience coming out of a grocery store or coming out of you know a a, a a mall or something like that i saw a guy the other day i wanted to tell him what to do but i didn't want to embarrass him where's my car Where is my car? Anybody ever had that happen? I had it happen once with an older vehicle I had. I got so busy, which I'm not accustomed to doing forgetting where I'm at, so busy in the store and in there for such a long time, and the parking lot was jammed full. When I walked outside and I started walking out to where I thought my vehicle was and where I thought it was, it wasn't there, you know what I had? A major sinking feeling. Like all of a sudden, my car was gone. That doesn't compare to what Adam and Eve felt That's right. <clears throat> That's right. when the presence of God left them. Mm-hmm. You as a child of God now have that presence back within you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you why a lot of people just don't seem to really get the significance of that. They're not aware of it. Mm-hmm. They're not aware of it. Oh, Adam and Eve were. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we be? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we should. But how do we become aware of it? You got to get your focus on God. You gotta quit being so focused on yourself and your physical life. See, you're never gonna get, you're never gonna become aware of God in this life with your brain, with your mind, with your thinking. He's one with your spirit. Where do you become one with? Where do you become aware of, of God's presence within you with your spirit, man? To the degree that if you allow that uh, relationship to a time of your life where you really are aware of Him, guess what? It'll affect every other part of you. All of a sudden. A lot of the challenges and problems in life that you think are so bad don't seem so difficult anymore. Amen. A lot of Christians, if they were so much more aware of the greater one within them than the stuff going on that's that's without around them, uh, on the outside of them, how different life could be lived. Right. That they're so frustrated, upset, and concerned and worried and 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 you know depressed about all these things in life. Let me help you. You have all that's good within you, living inside of you as a believer. How in the world could you live depressed? I'll tell you how. You're not aware of it. Guess what? We need to be aware of it. Guess what the children of Israel did? Forgot their God. Guess what you and I don't want to do? Forget his presence. That he's there. You and I need to press in more and more and more to be aware of God's presence in our life.